you are such a, an awesome and faithful God. We have seen your work in the past. We see your work today. And Lord, that's why with great faith and confidence, we can go forward knowing that you are continually going to be the great and almighty God in the future. Uh, you will be faithful in every way, in every circumstance of our life. Lord, will that mean that everything is going to just turn up rosy for us? No. But it does mean, Lord, that you will be with us every step of the way if we simply listen to your voice and, and follow you. We thank you for that, Lord. And we just uh, ask that we would worship you in spirit and in truth today. Lead us in that, Lord. Only you can do that. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I meant to mention in the prayer, and, and please uh, do be praying for... Um, events in the world. Uh, we understand that even as we speak today, uh, that there are more Russian troops at the border of Ukraine than the United States currently has an active service. That's sort of scary. But we also know that uh, Proverbs 21 says that God has the king's hearts in his hand. Amen? And he moves them in any direction he wants them to move. And we also know that the model prayer says that we are going to pray for his kingdom come, his will be done. And that can happen. Amen? Even in this circumstance. And so pray for world events now, okay? Um, please uh, take one of these um, connection cards and uh, fill that out. And please put that in the, uh, in the offering plate as you leave today. We'd especially love to hear from you if you're uh, a, a new uh, guest, maybe your, your first or second time with us this, uh, this week. And uh, also for the rest of us, if you have a prayer request, please feel free to put that uh, on, the, on the back. And the staff and pastor will be praying for those every Tuesday morning. Okay. Um, the next song we're going to sing is uh, just reminds us um, that God has provided enough. Amen? He's provided enough for our salvation. Um, here's, here's some words from the, the hymn writer John Newton. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as a hope that poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinketh of you? But let not all you feel discourage you, for if your physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he cast none out that come to him, why should you fear? Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is
his he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood in the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the
in just a moment, Brother Philip's going to teach about the gifts that Christ gives and how that benefits his body, the church. Uh, our next song is going to help us see a biblical perspective of what's really important in this life. Um, Christmas was about six weeks ago, right? And I'm sure we can all remember gathering around with family and opening presents. Do you remember the first Christmas that you experienced more joy in giving than you did receiving? And hopefully if you're over 18, everybody's affirmative, right? If, if, if you're over 18 and you're not nodding, yes, see me after class. In, in, in the same way, a maturing uh, believer shifts greater value from earthly things to spiritual things at some point in their life. This next song helps us to consider just that thought. Let's sing it together. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. Stand and sing it. I rejoice. of this. Let's sing it together. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. For that we rejoice. 
Good morning. We are about a month just inside the door of a new year. And my question is this this morning how are you doing with your resolutions? Your laughter proves you're guilty that you've made a resolution and you failed already. One such resolution that we all think about, whether we, whether we make the resor- resolution or not, we think about our health, don't we? <clears throat> we think, like I did, Lord, I, I need to increase the time that I'm walking. I need to do that more. And, of course, it's hard to walk in 10 inches of snow. Of course, our grandparents told us that they did that and walked to school and back, right? <laughs> but we think about health, we really do. And that's a good thing. I think we should be concerned about our physical health. But we also need to be more concerned about the health of our church. Right? And that's what we've been looking into. And what we've learned in chapter 4, 1 through 6, is that God wants unity in His church. He desires unity in this particular body. What we learn from Ephesians is the fact that our God has purchased By his own blood, the unity that we enjoy. Why? Because he's made peace with us through his cross. And he also creates that unity within this body by giving us his blessed spirit. So our God not only wants our church to have unity, but he also wants our church to grow. He wants this particular church to grow. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about more bodies put in pews because there are a lot of groups that are meeting today and there are bodies in pews but we would not call them churches at all. Acts 2 reminds us that the Lord 
adds to the church those who are being saved. It's not our job to save souls. It's Christ's job to save souls. It is our call to take Christ to everyone by the means of the gospel. But Jesus reminds us, I will build my church. And Acts remind us, reminds us that the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. We're speaking more in this passage that you're going to see today is centered around the spiritual maturity among the people that are in the pews. It's the spiritual maturity. God wants FBCO to grow in this regard. He wants us to mature in unity, in service, in Christ-likeness. He wants us to grow in doctrine. You'll see that as we read in truth. He wants us to grow with love among ourselves. Furthermore, he wants you to grow individually. He wants you to grow individually. God wants you to mature. It is as if the father in this particular section says to his son, This is the body that you purchased at an awesome price of your blood. Now I want you to give it all the grace and all the gifts that it needs for it to grow and bring us glory. That's God's agenda for the church. <clears throat> Is it okay that the God who created all things, created this world, <clears throat> would have an agenda? Yes, I mean, we realize that when we read a verse in Proverbs that says we make our plans, but the Lord directs our paths. We believe that it's okay for God to have an agenda. And what you're going to read in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 is God's agenda for His church. He has given us gifts and He has equipped this local body here at FBCO with ministers and gifts for their growth. That's what Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 is all about. Our ascended Lord has given a diversity of gifts to His body for the unity and maturity of this body. I get it. That is in interrelationships. But it's also for you individually. God wants our church to grow spiritually, corporately. But he also wants you to grow individually before him. So, there's no question as we read, beginning in verse 7, that, that something connects us with verse 6. And it's the unity theme. Okay, But as you begin to look at verse 7, the verbs shift in their emphasis away from corporate unity at that moment over to diversity, and that diversity is among individuals. So this section stresses diversity amid such unity for the purpose of the body of Christ growing up to the full stature, to the measure of Christ, in other words, to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, a note, I throw around terms sometimes, I don't define them well enough for you, I get that, okay? There's a term called an inclusio, and that's important as you interpret especially biblical literature and or biblical didactic material, like straight-up teaching. Okay? There's a difference between a narrative in the Old Testament and when you get over here and Paul is just like boom, 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 giving us indicative after indicative or imperative, and that's what he's doing here. But look, an inclusio is a bracketing or a framing of a section and the section begins with information 
and it ends with the same information. It's bracketing it together with parentheses. Notice how this works, okay? Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You got that in your mind? Now verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is framed. That is an inclusio. Okay? Everybody with me? Now let's read the whole text. And this morning I've got a real easy sermon for you. And that's this, every believer is gifted by Christ. Y'all can understand that. We can all understand that. And we're going to break that down and talk about what that means. Uh, Paul is going to give us an explanatory note out of uh, Psalm 68, uh, verse 18, that explains how our awesome Lord has given gifts and why he has the right to do that. Uh, We'll break this up probably in three sermons to get us down through verse 16. That will be the goal. But you know how your preacher is. I may read something and say, well, it's going to take a whole sermon for that one. But uh, I don't think that's going to be the case here. I I look at it uh, maybe three to get us through verse 16. Okay, you ready? Verse 7. Let's read all the way down through verse 16 so you see it together. And then we'll only look at today 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and here's your Psalm 68 quote, Psalm 68 verse 18. When he ascended... On high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, so Paul's given an explanatory note, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In verses 7 through 10, we see every believer is gifted by Christ. Again, a careful reading will show you how it connects verse 6 down to verse 7, especially when we just read that part about unity. It's connecting them together, but the gears are shifted here. You ever drove a five-speed, right? Four-speed, three on the column, whatever. There's a shifting of gears between verse 6 and 7 that sets us on a course to think about grace in the measure of a gift that is given to the people of God. And I don't want you to think of unity as colorless uniformity, right? It would be easy for us to think like that. John Stott says, we are not replicas of each other as if we've been mass produced out of some celestial factory. There's, when you think of unity, it would be very easy for us to think that we're just cookie cutter, plucked out 
replicas of one another in every way. That's not the case. Far from being boringly monotonous, the church body is exciting because there is diversity. So we know this because there are personalities that people have in this church, and you're weird, right? <laughs> we get that. I mean, just the cultural, just personality differences. If you've got children, you know what I mean. How can this kid be so much different from this one? And then this one in the middle be so much different from the other two. Or if you're like the Warfords and you got 25 kids, somewhere in there, you got all these personalities working together. Well, there's also cultural backgrounds, but primarily in the church, we're looking at the different gifts that Christ distributes, and he does so for the enrichment of the body. So in other words, we're living life together under the word, and there's a diversity of gifts that have been sovereignly given by the Lord for the church. So, when he says grace was given to us, what's your first response? Grace, look at that. But grace was given to each one. I mean, where does your mind race to if you've been following this particular study? It goes back to Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith... And this is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, it's been given to us, and we would think, okay, this is saving grace. We would, it would be easy to think like that. And Grace has been given to each of us, and we have to pump the brakes and say, praise God, that grace has been given. But I don't think that is Paul's point here. That was his point, clearly, in Ephesians 2. This is what we might call serving or ministering grace. I think uh, if you turn back to chapter 3, I can show you this. And of course we're going to look at other texts or scripture. But keep this in your mind. Every believer is gifted by Christ. Okay? So, chapter 3. How did Paul see this relationship? Certainly on the road to Damascus he was saved by grace. God intercepted him. And took someone who was dead and made them alive. And it was all by God's grace, the gift of grace that led to Paul's obedient faith in belief. But here in chapter 3, listen to verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, oikonomos, law, house manager. You've heard that I'm a steward, I'm a house manager of something. Of God's what? Grace that was given to you. All right, look down in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So Paul is referring to his stewardship of the grace of God. And then he refers to his own gift of apostleship to the Gentiles. And in verse 7, he talks about... Uh, being made a minister or a servant or a steward. He's received this gift from God. He certainly had received salvation as a gift of God. <clears throat> but here, he, he sees a gift given to him for ministry. So I think he is talking about serving grace. He's talking about ministering grace. This displays for us that when God gives a person saving grace, he also reaches into that life of that child by faith when they trust Christ and he doesn't simply stick us on a shelf to display 
his saving grace, but he infuses every one of his trophies of grace with a gift to be used in this body to serve the Lord. This grace, which is the fruit of saving grace, is the grace that comes to us in the form of gifts through God's Spirit to be used in this church body. It's been given to us by the Lord. I think many of us know that the word for grace is the Greek word. We're on TV, folks. Yeah, it's charis, right? It's God's favor, not just to the undeserving, but to the ill-deserving. It is God's favor. The word gift used in 1 Peter, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, is the word charismata. So you see charis is in the word gift. We might say grace gift. So the word for gift is embedded in the word grace. And I think Paul's point is trying to make it for us to see that this gift that God gives us comes directly from a divine source. Now, we're thinking about each getting a gift because when you read, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When it says Christ's gift, there's a different Greek word used there than charismata. So we have to say to ourselves, well, how do we know this is a gift given to individuals? Well, aren't you thankful that Paul wrote other books? Aren't you thankful that Peter wrote things? Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just to see how Paul... Now, we would call this Pauline line of thinking. Okay, we'll see 1 Peter in a moment. But let's think about Paul in chapter 12. We see a further explanation. How about verse 7 of chapter 12? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, and according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now move your eyes back up to verse 4. Now there are verities, or varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay? Now, uh, turn with me to Romans. That means turn left in your Bible. Romans chapter 12. Let's see what Paul says here. You know, I shot this out one day and someone come up and asked me, what do you mean by fours and twelves? Well, when it comes to spiritual gifts, they're found in fours and twelves. Ephesians 4, right? 1 Peter 4. And then twelves, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So fours and twelves helps you always remember where the gifts are actually given in the Word of God. So chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that has been assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Y'all read that? Not all the members have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them and then he's going to enumerate 
some of these. Now, one more. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Although Peter's not going to develop his understanding of gifts uh, along Pauline lines, the assumption is that every Christian has received a gift in order to carry out the ministry in the Christian community. And it's clear in this verse that these gifts, uh, it expressly states that these are given to us by grace. God gives them to us. You see it? Chapter 1 Peter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. As each has received, say it, a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So it is grace that gives us the gift. So when Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 7 that Christ has given grace to each one of us, he's talking about grace that is encompassed in a spiritual gift that is given to you to empower you to service, led by the Holy Spirit of God in this body. Okay, the verse goes on to say that it is according to the measure of Christ's gift, which is very similar to Romans 12, 6. It's very similar to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you read 1 Corinthians 12 and you get down, to, I think it's verse 29, it's going to say, do all have the gift of teaching? Do all have the gift of tongues? Do all have the gift? And if you know anything about the Greek language, it starts with the, the, the word may, meti. You got uti meti. Uti demands a, a positive yes. Do all speak? Do all speak in tongues? The Greek demands a no. Do all have the gift of teaching? No. Do all have this particular gift? No. You're not a church by yourself. If you are, I don't need to come. If you have all the gifts, you don't need me. And I don't need you because you've got all the gifts, right? They're to be used in the body. So, it's according to the measure, which means that not everyone has all the gifts. It's measured out. Therefore, by necessity, it's limited. This indicates that although it is individually given, since it is not all given to one individual, we all need each other. Are y'all getting this? That's why people have such stinking ecclesiology. They don't know anything about the church. Number one, they, they fail to think about what God did when he saved them. He didn't just sit you on the shelf. He saved you and gave you a gift to be used in a local body. But we, we felt we're so individualistic, number one. We're so, so much in isolation today that we don't think about how our gift is needed in the church. So, the ending verse, verse 16 of this section, again, forms that inclusio. And I, I don't think we can read it enough. But just listen to it again. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, if you're saved, that's you, with your gift, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's this one body and one faith. I don't need to preach all of Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 again, do I? Here's this one body, one faith, the people who have been brought in and brought in by saving grace, and then those who are recipients of saving grace. The Lord Jesus himself then measures out to each person as he in the Spirit sees fit, and he distributes that grace to individuals, and you become part of a body, and you function together. Peter O'Brien puts it like this, none loses out on Christ's bounty. He's sovereignly graciously distributed. So hear this. The Bible teaches that if you are in the body, God has given you a grace gift to be employed in this body. No one 
is left out. No one. And the point of 1 Corinthians 12 is that we all have different functions because we all have different gifts. At the end of the day, if you're saved, God has called you to do something. That's the lesson. This brings about the glorious equality among the body of Christ. Miss Jennifer's over there in the nursery. And there are people slaving over there. I'm serious. You know, just we know. That's because you don't, you don't go over there for that very reason. You know that it's work. Right? But that's just as important as this message being preached as far as gifts are concerned. The gifts God has given this body to function. We forget about that. So, this brings about this glorious equality. We know that we are all one in our redemption in Christ Jesus, right? But now we need to realize that everybody in the body has been given a grace gift and they function. Each one's different. And that will depend upon the function of others' gifts. And there's a glorious individuality, but there's also interdependence on the body where we're all working together, right? Verse 16, we'll see it soon enough. But there's not a single person who is born again who is without a grace gift. I don't know what you came to church expecting today, but this is what God wanted to say to you. If you are saved, then God has gifted you with a grace gift. No exceptions. You have been given a gift from God. Sometimes it's more than one, but it's going to be limited. It's going to be measured out. It's going to be limited. So this grace gift comes from Christ, not from ourselves. I remember, like it was yesterday, going through my associates in religion, and it was in a Pentecostal church. I was playing a little basketball, going to school. But the persuasion was Pentecostal, and I was told I was supposed to seek certain gifts. When I showed them from the scripture where God gives them sovereignly, and I'm not called to seek other gifts, and they were, the first thing they would say, well, that seems to be contradictory. No, it seems that your mind is in contradiction, Right? Because the Bible makes it clear, okay? God is the divine source. You don't get to pick and choose what gifts you want. God gives them to you. And I also want to remind you of this. Your talents and abilities certainly can be sanctified by God for use. But it's not the same as a spiritual gift given for this body. I would even tell you that there are a lot of singers. They come a dime of a dozen. But not all Singers use their gift and talent, their talents and abilities to praise God. I got in trouble once because I said singing is not a gift. Really? It's not. Okay? Now, if you use that particular ability and talent for the glory of God, certainly God can stamp that thing with his sanctifying grace and mercy. But singing is not listed. Maybe... I will say this later, but there's not an exhaustive list, I don't think, given to us in the Bible of all these gifts. But the fact of the matter is, there is a difference between natural abilities and talents. The talent for LeBron James to do what he does at 37 is unbelievable. Okay? When you look at that as a human being. But that's not the grace gift given by the sovereign king to be used for the edification of this body. Number one, think about how blessed you are of God to be saved and have a gift. And really for it to count for eternity. That's how blessed we are. So they come to us by His grace through Christ and His Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, they're boasting about the fact that they have this gift. And Paul says to them, you don't have anything that you didn't receive. 
Why are you boasting about it? If you received it as a gift, why do you boast as if you did not? God has given you supernatural spiritual endowments to be used for His glory. Not to be puffed up about it, nor to hide your gift under a bushel. He's given it to you to be used in this body. So the unity of the church consists in the diversity of gifts which comes from Christ. And I'm already anticipating what some of you are thinking. Wow! If they're given to us each one and there's a gift for me, give me my test. I, I got to circle in the little bubble and figure out what my spiritual gift is. And by all means up there at FBCO, I sure don't want to use and teach or do anything that might not be my gift. You know, I think about all that. I think that is nonsense. I think it is absolutely Nonsense. I don't think Paul was thinking about that in any form or fashion. My opinion is, in Romans 12, and again, 1 Corinthians 12, there's not an exhaustive list given. He did not give the list so that we can gaze at it and randomly think, well, this might be my gift or this may be my gift. The main point is for us to start serving. Start doing something. I want to suggest to you, I've been around churches a long time. I want to suggest something to you. It would be highly possible for you to live and die and never know what your gift is and still be mightily used of God. Some of you are nodding because you have no idea what your gift is. But you've been serving Jesus Christ faithfully. You've been serving the Lord faithfully. And you may not can define it, but you've actually started doing something in this church and as you started doing it, you started saying, Lord, I can't do this without your help. And you ask God to help you. And he begins to infuse you with his divine power to do what you're doing. For some of you, you figured out that it's opening your mouth and sharing Christ with others. And you're an evangelist. And you didn't really realize that. But you are. I think that's why Mr. Bill Craig is so excited about our new plans for March. When we're going to do a day of visitation on Sunday, the second Sunday of the month. And we're going to go out and knock on doors. And I told Mr. Bill, I said, we're going to have a red card. And when you grab that red card, it means the person you're going to, as far as we know, is lost. And Mr. Bill said, I can't wait to get that red card. Why? Because that's his gift. He, he's, he wants to share Christ with others, and that's his gift. For some of you, you don't know how you muster up the energy to be over in that kitchen doing bereavement meals. And son, there's times we get hit with a lot of those, and they're serving. And I don't think those ladies ever think about, well, I didn't fill out the right bubble on my, on my evaluation. So I'm not sure what I'm doing. Folks, you don't have to have some sort of inherent job description so that you know exactly how God has wired you. Just serve in this church. That's what God wants you to do. There'll be things you like, and there'll be things you don't like. All right? That's going to happen. The Lord Jesus, you find, if you're working with those children, that God Almighty gives you patience. The Lord Jesus gives you what you need to open your mouth and speak the gospel. The bottom line is that we need to start doing something. He's given us grace to serve. In other words, the operative word this morning is serve. Serve. If you're saved, there's... Furthermore, you're never going to really have the fulfillment in your life of being saved by grace through faith if you don't serve. How did I make that noise? That was a good one. <laughs> God saved you in order for you to be a servant in his church and to do good to others and bring him glory. 
And God will give you the grace to do it. So the point Paul is driving home is that Christ's grace to his church is nothing less than the necessary result of his triumphant life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. The necessity. You know, that's why he's giving you this analogy of descending and ascending. Why? Because the gifts that have been given to you are a part of that accomplishment as he descended to the face of this earth in his incarnation and as he ascended into heaven. Last time I checked, he's still on his throne. He rules and he reigns and he reigns through his church. And he's equipped us. He's given us grace gifts to do it. Now, connection with Psalm 68:18. Uh, turn over there real fast. Open up your Bible to the center. And you should be close. Psalm 68, verse 18. Listen to this connection. I want to do this a little rapid fire so we get through this part. Verse 18. A little background on Psalm 68. It's often called a divine warrior psalm. God is seen as a warrior who triumphs. And his triumphs in this chapter are demonstrated by the exodus. By Sinai, the wilderness wanderings over his people, the conquest of Canaan, and the establishment of his own kingdom. So this, this psalm celebrates God's victory. He's victorious. And he's returned to heaven. And this imagery is that God comes down and he gains the victory and the triumph among his people. He ascends back to his place of heaven. Okay? That's why Paul is using it in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 18. You ascended on high... Leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Anybody see a discrepancy? Anybody see something a little different between Ephesians 4 and Psalm 68:18? Well, the obvious is that in verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What does Psalm 68, 18 say? And receiving gifts among men. Some people say that it's simply that Paul quoted from a different uh, version and or a variant reading. What do y'all think about that? Do you think that Paul kind of misspoke or misquoted could there be a textual variant yes that's possible some say that it's gifts were received or taken they were received and taken in order to be turned around and given and this will be a more of a military overtone like spoils of the battle that are given out to the people and that i.e. would be like gifts given I think Paul is just paraphrasing from Psalm 68 18 to make a point. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but here's what I think it is. Numbers chapter 8. Turn over there. This is my opinion, and others will fall into this. It's not original with me, but this is what I think is happening here. I think Paul is using the pattern of God using the Levites in order to show us the giving and receiving of gifts. Chapter 8 of the book of Numbers... Let's pick up in verse 8. Numbers chapter 8, verse 8. 
Then let them take a bull from the herd and its grain offering of, of fine flour mixed with oil. And you shall take another bull from the herd for a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tent of meeting and assemble the whole congregation of the people of Israel. When you bring the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the people of Israel that they may do the service of the Lord. Verse 18 of chapter 8. And if I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the people of Israel to do the service for the people. You see, God takes the Levites as a gift, turns around, uses them for the service of the people of Israel at the tent of meeting to make atonement for the people of Israel that there may be no plague among the people. So, y'all with me? Some believe, and I think... That there are a couple of things going on. I think that there's a good possibility Paul had that thought in his mind. The Levites consecrated by the Lord, given back to the people for service. But also another thing. By the time of Paul writing Ephesians 4, Jews would actually quote from Psalm 68:18, acknowledging the thought in their mind that it was Well, it actually did happen historically, but they thought there was a connection with Psalm 68, 18 with Moses. As he went up on the mountain and got the law and brought it down to the people. So, with those two things in mind, Levitical priesthood and Moses, Paul says, nope, you're not getting that right. It is the king of glory that descended down to this earth and ascended into heaven. And he came and gave gifts to men. So we know what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? We know exactly what happened. Paul is teaching us that this one body that has been brought together by the power of God's Spirit through the Lord Jesus has individuals who have been given grace by the ascended Christ according to the measure of gifts. And he demonstrates this by using Psalm 68:18, which has overtones of the giving gifts to men as also giving gifts of the Spirit. To men, So the very one who has ascended is the very one who has given ministers to his church. And he's given his spirit so that we can serve one another for the building up of this particular body. Now when you get to verses 6, 9 through 10, it is further explanation of Psalm 68. And this gets complicated. As a matter of fact, some people believe that this is the most difficult quotation ever taken from the old and put into the new. Did y'all even see that? Because the ESV takes the liberty to say, he who, uh, excuse me, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions. They put comma, earth. But you understand that for years and years and years, all the church fathers believed that that actually taught that Jesus descended into hell. And he preached to those captives. Well, Is there some legitimacy to that? Well, when you read Ephesians and he is called victorious over the powers of darkness and all powers, then there can certainly be this particular understanding of that text. Meaning, uh, as it was said by theologians, the descensus ad infernus. In other words, Christ descended down into Hades and preached to the captives. What do you all think about that? Is that kind of weirded out? 
Yep, yep, some of you are going, yeah. That's one particular translation of what 9 and 10 can mean. Another is this. Jesus Christ descended from heaven in his incarnation. Right? To the earth. And he accomplished total victory for the people of God through his cross. And thus he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And as he ascended, he gave gifts. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.23, but also gifts to people. I prefer that line of thinking. The other one is simply among the, line, the, the thinking of gifts. Straight up that Christ gave those gifts. That would be the third line of thinking and that kind of falls in line with the fact that this is about giving gifts. So you take your choice on that one. All right? I'm not, that's not a hill for me to die on whatsoever. Are there some other complimentary texts that help us there? Yes, there are. But I'm not going to do that this morning. But one Sunday night, we'll actually come together if y'all want to and talk about the descensus ad infernus. Did Christ actually descend into hell and preach? Does that sound good to all y'all? Because y'all probably want to go to Godfather's or El Charo or somewhere today. All right, here's the deal for the ending of this sermon. The ascended Christ has given to each one of you, if you're a Christian, grace, his spirit, gifts, and he's also given you ministers for your growth and maturity in the faith. It is Christ's passion and agenda as our exalted head to see his body grow and mature. Would y'all agree with that? It, it is, he is our exalted head. We read that in this particular text. One of the purposes of his descension to earth and ascension into heaven was to give gifts to his church so that you would grow up in him. Christ did not save you merely to exempt you from hell. He saved you in order to empower you to, and equip you to be an operating, functioning, and producing part of this local body. I heard a couple amens. He saved you to be an operating, functioning, producing part of this body, growing up into love and maturity in Him. So I ask you today, is your priority in life to mature in the faith? Is your priority in life to mature in the faith? I'm telling you folks, if you've been wrought, if you've been saved by grace through faith and the Holy Spirit has wrought that work in your heart, then there are no exceptions. If you are saved, you've been given a gift by God. No exceptions. So really, young people, the number one goal should not be to put that ball in the hoop. The number one goal should not be to kick that ball down the, what do you call it, when soccer? I grew up in the South. Field, yes. It's not to hit that ball over the fence. We love all that. Now, can you use your talents and abilities to make an impact for Christ doing that? Yes. But if you're never in church, you can't use your gift here. If you're never around the people of God. And, fur and furthermore, what's the most important thing in your life if you're saved? To bring honor and glory to Christ. You can't bring honor and glory to Christ and not serve in the church. It's an impossibility. Are y'all getting this? You can't sit at home and expect to obey this. It's impossible. I don't care if you got your feelings hurt one time. I get my feelings hurt. We all get our feelings hurt. Why? Because we got personalities. Y'all weird. <laughs> We're all different, right? 
I mean, personalities will irk one another. But here's the deal. God has told you straight from the text that if you're saved by grace through faith, you've been given a gift from God. It's so that you'll mature in your faith and bring honor to Him. Don't you understand that you need one another in this church to grow? It's not just you, it's others. You're left here. And in other words, think about this. If God intended just to save you, then he would have had some kind of portal, some kind of rapture ready to suck you straight up into heaven as soon as you were converted. Some kind of secret rapture shuttle. Otherwise, how do you justify you still being here? Because to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, wouldn't you rather be there? It, to live as Christ and to die as gain, wouldn't you rather gain it? Why did God leave you here? So that you would serve him. We're left here to, in order to mature in our faith. We're left here in order to grow in grace. Not just for ourselves, but those around you. So here's the question again. Do you see this local body's growth and maturity as your priority? Not only your own life, but do you see it? I mean, how many times have you gone through this in your own life? Lord, this year, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to plug into this body. I'm going to do what you've called me to do and fulfill that that calling in my life, which is the most important thing. And then days go by and you just lay in the bed. And you do absolutely nothing. And there's no discipline whatsoever. I'm going to tell you what will discipline you. is to get your focus on the fact that you've been saved by grace through faith from Christ alone. And that God has gifted you in a particular way. He's given you a gift. Why? To serve so that you grow and this body grows. That's God's agenda. Do you think of the growth and maturity of FBCO and how you can be a part of it? Again, he didn't save you to make you a part of his body just so you could keep that seat warm. And for some of you, how dare anybody get in your seat? Right? That's your seat, nobody else's seat. Right? He made you a part of this body to enhance the growth, to use your gift for this body. Ephesians 4 is about Christ's agenda for the church. Here's the challenge as we go through this text, this passage. Will you be a part that grows and helps and contributes to the health of the body? Or are you going to simply remain the same? Year after year goes by and you make resolutions and things do not change. I'm going to get serious about it, Lord. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. Look, here we are. It's February. Have you taken that responsibility seriously? Because I know full well that if you're a believer, you thought about that. Lord, I know I'm not doing what I should. I, I know I need to plug in more. And here's the deal. Father, from this passage, we want to learn how to help this body grow. Right? Grant us a holy discontentment. Do you know that exists, according to Philippians? A holy dissatisfaction with where you are. That you haven't apprehended. That you haven't arrived yet. I'm not happy with the way I contribute to this body. That you've saved me and put me in. I'm not happy with the way that I'm, not, that I'm growing and maturing. So here's what we want to ask. Father, speak to us through your word. And may you be glorified through it. Christ has given each of us a gift. Lord God, we hear it. And Lord, here's the beauty of it. You never command us to do anything in your word that you don't give us the ability to do. And that is awesome. You actually, through your call, create the change that is needed to receive that call. Galatians 2.20 reminds us that you live in us. 
And Lord God, it's you that lives in us. So why can we and how can we do this? Because Jesus Christ saved us by his grace and he lives in us. Therefore, we can use our gifts to work in this body. To be equipped. To function as we should. Why? Because, Lord, you never demand anything that you don't provide. Thank you, God, for providing the Lamb. Thank you for providing a way that your church would bring you glory. Lord, let each of us take it seriously that we've all been given a gift to use in this body. Lord, help us to be a healthy church under the Word, living life together under the Word. Lord, if someone is here today and they're lost, Lord, you can save anybody by your grace. Lord, help them to see the beauty of Christ. Lord, how is it that people in their natural condition that would never treasure Jesus, all of a sudden, through the Spirit and the preaching of the Word, began to treasure that which they hated? It's called your Spirit and the Word that brings life. God, you can do that today in someone's heart. If they sense, Lord God, the beauty of Christ and the need to repent and believe the gospel, it's because you, Lord God Almighty, have accomplished that in their hearts and lives. Lord, if there's someone here today like that, would you call them unto yourself? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Right? You've given me a gift, and maybe the invitation for you is to lay it all on the altar before the Lord and say, I want to be mightily used of you, Lord God. Help me be disciplined to think about what you would have me to, to do as growth individually and how I'm supposed to be used in this body so that this church grows in order to honor the Lord. Amen? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This next verse reminds us of what Brother Philip just said. Leave behind those regrets. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrow and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Linda, this is Dan and Linda Stewart, and uh, if you were here, how many years ago? Twenty-something years ago, you may remember Dan and Linda. They were part of this church, and the Lord moved them away for a while, and now they're back here, and this is where the Lord wants them to be. Amen? So they both know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They both follow in believer's baptism. They'll be coming to us by uh, statement of faith and knowing Christ, and so we welcome them here uh, to First Baptist Ozar. Amen? God bless you. Do y'all remember Chris and Don? Yeah, head back there toward them, and we'll have people greet you as they go out. All right? Well, the Lord bless. We'll hopefully be back on schedule on Wednesday night. All right? Dr. Harrison's wife, Miss Julie, broke her ankle. And so she's, they were unable to be here this weekend tonight. Tonight for our... This is the first day of the week, not the weekend. By the, so anyway, tonight... Uh, they cannot be here. So we're not going to plan a service for tonight. No 6 o'clock service tonight. But the women do have their Bible study at 4. Okay? Uh, on the 20th of February, we will have Sunday night service. Okay? And then starting in March, there's going to be a new schedule of probably three Sunday mornings on, three Sunday nights on in a row, and then the fourth Sunday night off. So that's kind of where we're thinking right now as a staff. You pray for us as we seek to lead. And so uh, no service tonight except for our women's Bible study. All right? Well, God bless you. Brother David. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more.